Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm Gail. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions. We hope to see you there. Today, we're thrilled to be talking with Ashton Applewhite as an advocate for women aging. Ashton is a celebrated expert on ageism who began blogging and speaking out about aging and ageism about 15 years ago. And her 2016 book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, radicalized the present anti-ageism movement. The United Nations credits her book with, and I'm quoting, acting as a catalyst to raise the consciousness of people around the world on what ageism is and what we can do to dismantle it. So since then, Ashton has continued her blog, Yo, Is This Ageist?, co-founded the old school um, anti-ageism clearinghouse, and she's in high demand to speak at various venues from TED Talks to universities, community centers, Library of Congress, United Nations, and her numerous honors and recognitions, local, national, international, acclaim Ashton for being inspiring, a trailblazer, an influencer, and a game changer. So welcome, Ashton, to Women Over 70. We're happy Thank to have you. You, you know, you. I, I, I realized, Ashton, that um, I read just recently that your book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, was self-published in 2016. Is that correct? Yes, it, it was originally self-published. And then, well, then it came out as paperback, and now all of a sudden, it's one one of the one hundred best books to read at every age. What happened in between self publishing and? Well, I, this? I, I, a a fancy publisher had an option. They had published my previous book, which has to do, which was aimed at women. It was about women who end their marriages. And writing book is really horrible and evil, so I thought I'd never have to do it again. Um, but many years later, I did. And when I took it to the publisher with a fancy agent and the whole thing, um, we had a meeting. And the editor looked at me and said, we're concerned that no one else is writing about this. <laughs> and I managed to say, not, are you effing kidding me, which was what I wanted to say, because I knew right then I was doomed. But I did manage to croak. Um, I think you should see that as a feature, not a bug. But uh, then either publishers turned it down or they didn't, you know, show the kind of interest I thought the subject deserved. Mm -hmm. So I self-published it. I should say with the help of my partner who has been in electronic publishing for a long time. So he wrangled a lot of the technical stuff. He's the reason the book is so beautiful. I don't know if I would have, you know, been able to do it myself. I might have settled for, you know, a, a smaller um, publisher, although a small publisher who is committed to a topic. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say it has to be a big boy to, you know, do you justice. But we did self-publish and we sold, a, I think, 25,000 copies. And then I sold the rights to Celadon, which is a new imprint of Macmillan. And they brought out a hardcover, I think, in 2019 and then in paperback a year later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in between, you have become really one of the key spokespersons for anti-age, anti-ageism. And um, can you give us a little bit of, uh, tell us a little bit about your own story of how you 
had the courage to write about this in the first place <laughs> and uh and 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 what it's been like to 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 really command the kind of stage presence that you that you have about this topic um well that's a separate question which i will okay. have forgotten by the time i answer okay. all right answer the first one throw it at me again i mean i'm i'm laughing because anytime someone says like tell us send us your cv or tell us your you know your career plan i'm just like i am ne have never ever had a career plan i never knew what to major in in college i would could never have gone to graduate school because i wouldn't have known what you know i be, i didn't start writing until my mid 40s but i have written two serious books and there is a similarity to them in that i write like most writers in you know it's based in my own experience and i had been married for 11 years and i realized i couldn't stay married and um a chance comment of my attorney, she said, most of my clients are people like you, meaning women. And I went home and learned in two seconds that two thirds of divorces in the US are initiated by women. And it's always been that way. It's always been preponderantly women, but I was flabbergasted. I assumed it was 98% men dumping their sad, pathetic old <laughs> wives for fertile trophy wives. And I thought, why don't we know this? And I started to research divorce and so so what got me going was why is our picture of life after divorce for women so much worse than the reality and it ended mm -hmm. up as a book called cutting loose why women who end their marriages do so well mm -hmm. and 20 years later i looked in the mirror and was like oh crap this getting old thing it's happening to me and it was quite analogous although as usual i didn't see it except in hindsight I started interviewing older people and learning about longevity. And it was the same aha thing of, it's not that the scary stuff isn't real, but why are our fears so out of proportion to reality? Because the fear divides us. It's bad for us individually. It's bad for us collectively, blah, 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 which I wrote whole books about. But you know, we don't know the, the flip side about marriage because we live in a sexist capitalist patriarchy where that works more works more smoothly if women stay harnessed in conventional heterosexual marriage. And we don't know the full side about aging because we live in an ageist, sexist, ableist, capitalist patriarchy. So it was the same thing. I don't write because I love to write. I never set out to be a public figure to touch on your second part of your question, which mm -hmm. I remember. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but when I get an idea, it's, it's like a bit between my teeth. It seems important to me. And I research and write and speak because it feels important to get the ideas out in the world. I, I hope that doesn't sound pretentious. It's a way it's a way to deal with the ego piece of it, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm a vessel for mm -hmm. these ideas. Well, you've certainly hit a nerve for, for sure in our society. And I'm, you know, you make the point uh, well and often that it's ageism is not just about for older people against older people. It is really younger people, probably people of any age, really. Um, but but for women, I, yeah, for our population, older women, um, just you, you talk about this a lot in your book, but what are some of the sort of the the, the myths that we we really need to be aware of about aging and as we're as we're yeah. getting older? Yeah, I mean, just 
to define ageism, we are being ageist anytime we make an assumption about someone on the basis of how old we think they are. And we do it all the time. All of us. We are all ageist, no judgment at all. But, um, you know, it's one reason, uh, you know, a thought experiment I would like is for medical charts to have your age on the second page, not the first page. Your age is, it's always relevant. I don't want a society with no age. I don't want it whitewashed or erased. It is very relevant to your your physiology and your health. But it, But I want a physician to look at me because they're really good at it you know, and say, okay, you know, to, 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 to get their first impressions from me independent because the minute we have a number, all sorts of assumptions click into place. It's why I don't like generational labels. And of course, women are face gender bias in addition to age bias. So it's a double whammy. Um, it's, it's, um, I mean, the, the, the stereotype I dislike the most, which is not inherently gendered, is that old people are the same. You let some, at some moment, we wake up, we're dumped by the you know dump truck of life into the sad, tragic holding tank of the elderly. And elderly is an icky word because it has connotations of frailty, but it's the V in front of it that really bugs me. When, in fact, we the longer we live, the more different one another we become you know that that's such an interesting fact to me heterogeneity increases with age so the the older the person the less that number says um I, it's it's funny i'm having a hard time picking a specific gender thing that doesn't have to do with um supposed sexlessness or ugliness or um and i don't like going there because i try not to talk about women's appearances Mm -hmm. Period. You know, yeah, because it, even if you have talk about why it's a dumb way to categorize people, you're talking about it. You're still giving it playtime. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's um, talk about one of the that I was really happy to see this chapter in your book about sex and and uh, intimism, intimacy. Yeah. And so, can you talk about that in terms of what are some of the misconceptions, the ageist attitudes that our society might might uh, carry around. Sure. I mean, you know, we live in a patriarchy in, in which women's value is just as, as where all of our value is linked to whether or not we make money in a conventional sense. And women's is linked as well to our appearance. We are punished for appearing to age and to our reproductive status. So we're and I mean, in the workplace, there's just a big Harvard Business Review place about this. We're never at the right age. You're too sexy to be taken seriously. Then you're too fertile to be promoted. If women get pregnant, they are less likely to be promoted. Whereas if a dad man announces he's going to be a dad, he gets a promotion. Then you're not worth promoting because you're spending too much time on your family. And then you're not fertile anymore. And it's all she wrote. Um, so the so, so the uh, so so women as we age there is a way to depreciate us no matter what age we happen to be i'm glad you mentioned that it is also 
you know, you're too young to be taken seriously. I mean, I remember I was in the hospital overnight a while ago and I looked around the, you know, the bed in the emergency room and all the doctors looked at that eight to me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I caught myself and I was, you know, here they are in a fancy New York hospital. I bet they know what they're doing. And of course they were, you know, brilliantly competent, but we all have those preconceptions. And the most important thing we can do is to think about them. The first step, think about your attitudes about age and aging. Why do we all want to know what age someone is? Speaking of sex, you're, you're dating someone new. How old are they? Mm -hmm. Right? Do you want to start a family? Probably not. Well, that is arguably, or, or like do extreme sports. If neither of those are in the cards, you could make an abstract argument that age shouldn't matter at all, right? It does, of course. I don't mean to be extreme, but there is this sort of assumption that we women age out of becoming sexual beings and wanting to continue to stay sexual beings. And that is false because it's a stereotype. I do want to add, though, that we, you know, it, there's this very, very powerful, predominant, you know, story about positive aging, active aging, successful aging, which fundamentally means to not age, to spend a lot of money and effort trying to look and move like younger versions of ourselves and do the things we always did. And part of that myth is you got to stay sexually active. And I just want to say, you don't got to do anything, right? It's okay to, you know, your libido does diminish to, in most people. If you're less preoccupied with that, um, you know, that's liberating. So I don't want to say you have to ever um, be that there's a better or right way to negotiate any of this. For a lot of women, especially straight women who want a straight man who is a few years older and doesn't have, a, you know, a nutty whole second set of family with a drain and, you know, 18 children tugging at his sleeve and so on, that pool grows very small. So either if you want to remain sexually active, you need to broaden your the pond in which you choose to swim. And lots of people decide it's just not worth it. And there is nothing wrong with that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I really appreciated the way you approached, approach that whole area because it's, it's um we're told well you should be having sex because now we know that people do it you know if they're 60 year old <laughs> but um if you don't do it then something must be wrong with you or if you don't yeah. have the opportunity but what we but, but what the way you talk about it is whatever whatever matters to you go for it and and yeah. uh, experience it redefine it um it's yeah, not the sex we had when we were 20 and 30 no but I mean, I, I think actually that's a good example of things we do better when we get older. I mean, it's true. And I, for, for obvious reasons, for men, if your sexual prowess is measured in how long you can have an erection and how many orgasms, you are going to be disappointed. And I imagine that's really hard. For women, we don't have those specific measures of whether or not you are performing as society says you should. Uh, but if it's important to you and you are willing to embrace a broader notion of the form sex can take, you can continue mm -hmm. to have satisfying sex. And I will plug my friend, Joan Price, who is mm -hmm. a, 
a fantastic, you might want to interview her for your podcast. She's a fantastic um, advocate and expert in sex um, for older people. Mm -hmm. Gail, are you on the verge of saying something? (laughs) No, I'm taking it all in at the moment. (laughs) I will be back. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I, uh, You've talk, you talk in your book also, and, and I've listened to you know, some of your TED Talks and, and you know, read some blogs, that um, it ages and cripples us. It hurts us. Yeah, I, I, I bet I did say cripple. You did I, say cripple. I wouldn't say that anymore. It's funny. I'm okay. keeping a list of things I used to say. I, you were totally legit to, to quote me. <laughs> but I now understand that that's not an acceptable turn of phrase. Uh, people with disabilities have have started to use the word. They talk, refer to themselves as crips and talk about crip mm-hmm. time, just mm-hmm. as some lesbians have reclaimed the word dyke and call themselves dyke. So I would not um, I would not say that anymore because it's ableist and offensive. My niece is a physician, and I had a line in an early talk that she heard where I said my worst fear was ending up drooling in some grim institutional hallway. And she said, auntie, a lot of my patients drool and they really don't like it. And I wish you wouldn't say that anymore. And I was like, I'm not going to say that anymore, but we make mistakes, right? Sure. Learn. So yeah, I mean, any ageism is really a form of self-loathing. You know, it is a distancing from our own future older selves. And it is not healthy to go through life dreading your future, just like it's not good for our, it's not good for our psyches to look in the mirror and feel like, and and we all have those mornings. Again, no judgment. <laughs> I gave a talk not long ago and I had a, a, um, a room for people with disabilities. So the countertop was really low and I didn't, I'd forgotten my makeup mirror to stick to the mirror. And I had to put what little makeup I put on hanging over my mirror, which was flat. And I looked at it and I thought I looked like a Sharpay, you know, those, <laughs> those wrinkle dogs, you know, we have those moments, but it doesn't mean I'm a useless person. It doesn't, you know, we have a lot to learn here from the body acceptance movement. You know, we have, we have all kinds of exemplars out in the culture now. Um, so, sorry, I've gotten off track now. What, what do you want me to, what do you well, want to leave? In, in, so what, so cripple is not, is not a, an acceptable word. Right. So what would, how, how would you frame that in terms of how it, how ageism affects us? It, yes. It, it, it just it, affects us. It damages us in so many ways. Um, I, let me get around to the health effects in a minute. Um, but what it, it really is, as I said, a form of self-loathing, which is a powerful idea, but internalized, so is internalized racism and colorism, mm-hmm. people of color. We live in a world that barrages us with messages that the ideal is thin, it's white, it's cisgender, it's typically male, it's certainly moneyed, right? And the further we are from that non-existent ideal, the more barriers there are to equity. And when we see ourselves as diminished in those ways, it's not good for us. It's not good for us collectively because all prejudice operates to pit us against each other. You know, uh, an example for women is, you know, women in the paid workforce arguing with stay-at-home moms about who's a better mom. It's a dumb fight, right? 
What we need is all the women to join forces to subsidize childcare so that women could choose whether or not to stay home. Or, you know, the, the classic example of the, the Polish factory workers and the Italian factory workers, you know, a century ago, underbidding each other instead of, you know, coming together to force the factory worker to pay them a decent wage. So that is how aid, that's one way that ageism impoverishes us collectively. It also encourages segregation. You know, mm-hmm. we live in a very age-segregated society. And that's not, you know, that's not good for anyone. It's not good for older people. It's not good for younger people. And there is abundant growing data all over the place about how ageism harms our health. When I started writing about this, I couldn't say that so unequivocally because I'm mm-hmm. I am very careful about what I say. There is now data up the wazoo that shows how having um, negative uh, equating aging with decrepitude, with depression, with worthlessness harms our health. And, and the inverse is also true. Most of the work has been done by a woman named Becca Levy at Yale, mm-hmm. um, who has a fantastic book called Breaking the Age Code, which is all about this. Um, and her latest findings show she, she calls it people who have a positive attitude toward late life. They um, that they are less likely to experience mild cognitive decline, which is a diagnostic label, which is a little bit problematic, but that's a whole nother subject. Not only that, they can recover from it. It can improve your memory. I don't think of it as positive mm-hmm. beliefs. I think of it as accurate. Yes, as say that again as accurate. Accurate. Because I don't want to ever, you know, brush over the genuinely um, you know, uh, worrisome, you know, unwelcome aspects of aging, they are real. They are made much worse by the society in which we age, but you know, the, the, the physical decline is real. Cognitive decline is not inevitable, but, but, you know, if you're, if financial insecurity, uh, ending up alone, getting sick, those are real fears. So I don't want to brush them under the rug, but I want people to have an accurate view of those things. Take mm-hmm. dementia. You know, if every time you lose your glasses, you think, ooh, that's the first sign of Alzheimer's, that fear itself makes you more likely to get Alzheimer's. That's one of Levy's studies, right? Because the anxiety makes you more vulnerable to to stress, and stress makes us more vulnerable uh, to exactly what we fear. You know, the, the statistic from the Alzheimer's Association is that one in 10 people We'll get Alzheimer's. That's a lot of people, but it's not typical of aging. And what you never, most of those people mm-hmm. are in their 80s and 90s, which is, you know, I'm not brushing that off by any means, but it's not if you lost your glasses when you're 55, you're probably not, you know, going to be unable to remember your name next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to educate ourselves and put our fears in perspective. Mm-hmm. People with more accurate age beliefs are less likely to get Alzheimer's even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. So, you know, I'm waiting for a public health campaign to mm-hmm. it's why the national it's why the World Health Organization, not the World Old People Organization, launched a global campaign to combat ageism two years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? That I mean, because they realized it's the biggest obstacle to increasing health span along with lifespan. Right. Yeah. 
can we do, Ashton, at the grassroots level? How, how can we approach this? How can we use our podcast to, to uh, you know, we, we're doing it, we think. But you I'm are sure. doing it, and I love that question. And thank you for asking it, because we are not going to make the most of longer lives without culture change. And, you know, the best analogy, I think, is the women's movement, which really, God knows we have a long way to go on the women's rights front. But it's true that once you start getting serious pushback, it means that you're actually starting to threaten mm -hmm. existing power structures. We need a grassroots movement like the women's movement to raise awareness of ageism and educate people on how to dismantle it. And also ableism. That's a big piece of this, mm -hmm. which is prejudice around physical and cognitive function, because a lot of what we think of as ageism is actually mm -hmm. learn about physical and mental function, which can strike us at any age, right? Um, so so that's, that is why the, I do the work I do. Um, it is why I created Old School, which you mentioned in the bio, which is the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse. The website is oldschool.info. And it is packed with hundreds of carefully vetted resources. Everything is free except the books to educate yourself, you know, uh, what it smells like and quacks like and what you can do. We host our regular get togethers. We have a weekly meeting, ask us anything about ageism because it can seem lonely and you're the only people doing this, you know, um, write me a note and I'll, uh, you know, I, I have all sorts of ideas listen to this podcast. What you can do as podcast hosts is name the structural issues, call out ageism, call mm -hmm. out ableism, name it, mm -hmm. right? Because that is, that is how we understand that there are structural forces, that it's not your, your, you know, it's not your incapacity or your gray hair or your lack of gray hair or your wokeness or your lack of wokeness that is the source of the problem. The source of the problem are existing power structures, right? So that's why you asked that question about grassroots, because you know that already. And we do need to mobilize. The American Society on Aging has started the second annual um, Ageism Awareness Day, October 6th. So, it, you know, if follow me on social media or follow ageism on social media, you'll find out about these things. I don't think there's going to be a march on Washington yet, but you could march to City Hall and say, you know, you could you could write your senator and say, uh, how come Medicare doesn't cover hearing aids, you know, or dental or vision? I mean, there's so many campaigns. Is your, you know, are, are, d does your community have a community center where people of all ages can come together and do something besides play bingo and no diss to bingo. My partner loves bingo. There should be bingo. There should be bingo for all ages, but there should be other things too, right? I mean, anything, I, I feel like you, you yourselves have a hundred better answers to what, or more specific answers to what your community would like to see to make their later years better. And that's the thing you should go after, but name ageism and name ableism and be political. Don't be afraid. I mean, I don't mean be however you want to be, mm -hmm. but it's necessary, I think, to frame it as a political and social issue, not just a set of you know personal problems or personal grievances. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the mantra from the women's movement was the personal is political. So exactly. yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. It always is. Yes. Always. 
And it's, you know, it's not about class. It's not about red and blue. Everyone gets older and everyone deserves to be heard and be listened to and be treated with dignity. Right. Well said. You said you made a, so I've been, I've been curious about that. You've, you've been speaking out and writing about this for quite a long time now. And in 2015 or so, they said, nobody's talking about this. So probably you shouldn't either. And then, um, and so now it's, it's, it is, I do think that we're really are part of a movement. I'm so That's, glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I do. Really, too. I do. Uh, I mean, what I, is it like to be the carrier to, to your, the, what kind of pushback do you get? Or do you get, still get pushback? Not, not enough because I know, I, I will know when I'm getting more pushback that we're really starting to challenge power mm -hmm. structures. But I am glad to hear you say that. I know that a movement is underway. The reason I know it is because of old school. When we started it in 2016, we did not have a campaign section. And it's up to 30, 32 now. The, mm -hmm. the United Kingdom is launching a uh, national anti-Asianism campaign that next spring. So, you know, there, there's evidence. I, I, I like to have evidence. Ageism is on many more you know, headlines and conversations than ever before. Someone asked me a question at a talk I gave um, two weeks ago. They said, there's so much ageism around Biden running for president and gerontocracy. And, you know, that's so awful. I said, I said, yes, the conversation is misguided, but think of the way you phrase the question. There's so much ageism around it. That itself shows enormous progress that people mm -hmm. saying, this hideously ageist and ableist stuff about Biden, say, I know this is ageist. Mm -hmm. Awareness. Awareness mm -hmm. is the first step. You know, and so the first step personally we can do is to is to look at our own attitudes towards age and aging, because most bias is unconscious. We haven't thought about age as much as we've thought about sexism and racism. And we can't undo it until we become aware of it. And that's uncomfortable and unpleasant. The good news is, and this is what consciousness racing did, and I, as you both also know, I suspect, you know, you go, oh, wait, once you see it in yourself, you mm -hmm. see it around you. And that is liberating. And yes. you can't get that genie back in the bottle. <laughs> That's right. That's great. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Time goes too fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. Everything connects to everything else. And yeah. if you had told me 15 years ago that I would become fascinated by aging, I would have said, ew, why do I want to think about something sad and icky that old people do that I'm apprehensive about? And aging is how to move through life. We're aging from the middle. Uh -huh. And it is the, you know, it connects to every aspect of being human, every field of study. It just gets more interesting all the time. I bet you're finding that in your podcast. Absolutely. I, I sometimes feel like we live in a bubble because everyone we talk with has, you know, it's not that they haven't suffered loss or hardship or had self-doubts or anything like that, but they just continuously are engaged and contributing and say, I matter, listen to me. And um, yeah, they just, as we interviewed a 94-year-old recently, and she said, you just keep moving, you keep moving. Yeah, yeah. And you are doing more than your part by fostering these conversations and helping, you know, women see each other. I mean, for a lot of women, 
late life is the best time of all because it's because it's liberating. You know, it's I mean, it's, it's often because we cease to be as visible as we used to be. It's often on terms that we didn't choose, but we can control how we adapt to that and what we do with that power. Yeah. It's power in living on the margins. <laughs> it is. Well, thank you so much. I think we'll we'll need to we'll want to have you back. You, uh, be my pleasure. So willing. Thank, thank you. you very much. And listeners, thank you for your loyalty. Because of you, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas, and that's a good thing. Still, we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. Support women over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging. Music